Hello guys, welcome to our show. Today we discuss about how you can grow your audience with content marketing. It's very important today because I often see generic marketing messages without value, without creativity and by using AI. So I use AI, but you need to use AI in the smart way. And I'm so excited to discuss this topic with Lacey Box. How are you? I'm well, how are you doing? I'm doing great. I remember all your valuable insights so wanna learn more <laughs> and yeah. you're with that Lacey before we start just tell more about your self-experience background remind about your business because we have new listeners who can learn more about you yeah great so uh, I'm the director of the content direction agency and we're a boutique content marketing firm we help small businesses create a strategy for their content marketing and actually create the content for them uh, to help them grow in deceptively playful and very powerful ways so they can get more leads and sales in their business. I want to start from the question that I think all marketers need to understand, to understand the reply to this question, because I see when companies are chasing high volume, some vanity metrics like likes, comments, traffic. But once I spoke with a webmaster who lost 400,000 traffic because Google dropped ranking positions, but he didn't lose any sales. So he got this traffic, a lot of traffic, but he couldn't monetize this traffic. And I see this trap, you know, when companies see high volume on iChrefs, Google Keyword Planner, SEMrush, and think, okay, I want to get this traffic, I need to jump with that. But in the first stage, they need to compete with Wikipedia, many other great big websites. It's hard. In the second, it doesn't mean that you can monetize this traffic to get results. So can you tell how to find the right method in your content plan? What, what I've seen a lot lately is that people... Um... Sometimes they're focusing, as you said, on vanity metrics, they're focusing on the wrong thing, but also that they don't have uh, a complete content web, a web of content that's going to help them attract and keep those leads, right? So your person that you're talking about that had all this traffic but couldn't monetize, he had focused on the discovery part of the web, right? So he had lots and lots of people finding him, but he wasn't keeping them. And I'm assuming he also wasn't like having people raise their hand and say, yes, I want to buy your thing. <laughs> so... <Yeah. laughs> What I've seen is that a lot of times people get kind of, um, they get their content siloed, right? So they're, they're, maybe they're writing a blog and then they're doing social media and then they have an email, but it's not talking to each other. They're not, they're not connected in any way. So what I've been talking about lately is that people need to have a web of content that's super interconnected so that all the pieces are working together so that you can monetize, right? So you're not just generating all that traffic or generating all those likes on social media, but it doesn't go anywhere. So there, there's five pieces you have to have. You have to have thought leadership ideas that help differentiate you from the rest of your industry or your competition. You need to have pillar content. So that's your blogs or your videos or your podcasts that are explaining the thought leadership. You have to have um, distribution and discovery content. So a way for people to find you and then a way for you to share that. So that's usually social media, SEO, hashtag strategies, partnerships, stuff like that. Or like this, like I'm appearing on your podcast, your, your show here. So this is a distribution strategy for me. Um, then you have lead generation content. So how do I, what do they do? How do they raise their hand to say, yes, I want to buy your product? And finally, the conversion content. So that's things like sales pages, sales emails, whatever you need to, for them to say yes. So unless you have all five of those pieces working together, you might struggle like the person you're talking about where you're, you're doing really well in one area, but it's not translating into leads and travel and sales for your business. 
Mm -hmm. I think it's distribution strategy for you to share more value because mm -hmm. I know you can share value because you know uh, uh, when companies think how to monetize and sell, they forget about sharing value. Uh, mm -hmm. If you share value, then you can monetize in the end. You know you can get results with that. Uh, I know, Lacey, how you can share value. <laughs> okay, <let's laughs> talk, uh, you know, let's talk more about uh, creating non-boring content. Uh, mm -hmm. The reason why I'm asking about that because uh, uh, I spoke with Jim Edwards. Uh, he worked in Business Insider ten years. He started on this company from scratch. Then company was sold for five hundred million dollars. Uh, great success, and he told me that success of Business Insider depends on creating non-boring content. Right. Uh, he sticked with me. You know, I got it. I okay. Uh, I need to entertain, even if you create business content. You need to not be boring. <laughs> so can you tell how not to be boring if you touch all five points that you mentioned and uh, in the end not be boring because bounce rate is high everywhere on YouTube, on TikTok, on uh, audio podcasts, on blog posts, uh, on social media. People live fast. So any tips about that? Yeah, I think, um, so what I usually tell people is think sideways from your offer to figure out what else your your people are interested in. So what I mean by that is, you know, if you're selling a widget, uh, a little thing that you make, what what else are the people that might buy that widget? What else are they interested in? Um, and this works really well, whether you have a product-based business or a service-based business or you're a coach or an author, because we're, we're not one-dimensional, right? Um, customers are not one-dimensional. We all have multiple different interests and things that we might find exciting. So we, when we think sideways, we're not just thinking about, oh, I have to just talk about my product. I just talk about what I do or what I sell. Um, we think, what else are people interested in? So for me, for someone like me, you know, I might talk about other types of content. I might talk about different ways of delivering it. One of the things we did to be unboring <laughs> is I created a, a fiction podcast. So it's like a radio play, like from old timey radio play. And it's a, it's a mystery. And uh, it's a marketing detective and it's funny. And so people can listen to it and they, they'll enjoy like the insider jokes about marketing and stuff, but they also learn something and it's sponsored by my business. So they'll hear about my business. That's one way we have tried to be unboring <laughs> in our business to create that, that fiction content that actually gets people really excited about how we can help them create more content. So there's lots of different angles you can get. I don't care how boring you think your business is. There's a way to be fun and engaging and unboring yeah. with your content. Yeah, exactly, exactly. You know, uh, I open your LinkedIn profile because I like opening LinkedIn profiles and <laughs> I see we write amazing content that drives sales. Can you tell what kind, uh, how to describe amazing content? Because I often hear like you need to create high quality content, high quality content, but uh, in the end, nobody knows what high quality means because we are subjective about yeah. our content. If I write an article, I always have the feeling it's the best article ever. It's my internal feeling because I spend sure. time to craft this article, to research. But when uh, I can't get results with that, I understand, no, I was wrong about that. <laughs> so can you tell about creating amazing content and how to estimate this content is amazing? Yeah, that's a really good question. Um, 
as you said, it is subjective. So, and it's changing. I think what's what we would consider amazing these days is changing. So you mentioned AI at the top of the interview. Um, if if AI can do it, if AI can produce a similar article, it's no longer amazing, right? right. Because I can go into chat GPT and do that for free. Um, so what we have to do now as content creators is we have to say, okay, to be amazing, I have to do something that the AI can't do. I have to produce something that's different from what's out there, that's interesting to my audience, and that's something that the AI can't replicate. That's how we're going to stand out, right? So things that AI can't do, it can't have a personal opinion about things. <laughs> so you can share your opinion, your, your um, rants and raves about whatever in your industry. Uh, it can't really make predictions. So if you have uh, opinions and data in your industry, you can make predictions in your content. AI can't touch that. Um, it can't analyze the data in your company. So if you say like, I've worked with however many, a thousand people, and this is what we noticed over, right? AI can't touch that. That's something that, that it can't generate. So that's unique to you, something that's very unique. Um, also user generated content. So if you can, talk to your users, talk to your audience and get their feedback. Maybe that's case studies, maybe that's testimonials, maybe that's just um, going out and finding quotes from experts, things like that. Um, those are things that the computer can't generate from, from what it's learning online. So when we are looking for amazing content, it has to be something very different. It has to be something that differentiates us from the competition and it has to help us stand out, right? There's so much noise online right now. It's like you're in a room a giant room full of people and everybody's talking and nobody yeah. has a microphone. And so creating amazing content gives you the microphone, right? Because it's going to help you stand out in that room full of people, even though everybody else is talking at the same time. Um, so I think thought leadership, uh, data, opinions, predictions, those types of things are the types of content that we could call amazing moving forward because it's unique. It's special. It's something only you could create. And, um, as I said, AI is going to start flooding us with lower quality content. And so we're all going to have to step up our game and, and do something that's different and better than what the computer can spit out. Yeah, nice. You, you remind me a book uh, from Seth Godin, Purple mm -hmm. Cow. And, you know, cow, I think, yeah. yeah, you don't need to read this book to understand this book. <laughs> you know, it's just to read mm -hmm. the title and you can understand that you need to stand out from the rest. And uh, let me share a story. Mm -hmm. about uh, Lloyd Richards. Uh, he uh, wrote a book and spent 14 years to write this book. Then uh, after publishing the, this book, he uh, spent 11 years with marketing sales, but nobody bought this book, probably some random sales, not good. Then his daughter posted content on TikTok uh, from account with zero followers. This video became viral. And plus 50 million watch this video. Today, this book is bestseller on Amazon. And you know, when you mention about uh, creativity, uh, you remind me this story because uh, uh, this video is not like with the best nice looking design. Simple design, nothing special. But that was a story, interesting story, story that provokes curiosity. I watched this video a few times, you know, just to understand how to film such videos, you know, to be creative like this. So, and uh, uh, this video beats a lot of marketing and sales uh, methods, uh, instruments. So 
can you tell how to be creative, especially today in AI era when we have AI, AI is not creative, but in the end we use this tool. I don't know anyone who can ignore this tool today. I mean, like from uh, writers, offers, everyone uses. So tell about the smart way of using this tool and be creative in the end. Yeah, I saw that video that you're talking about. And uh -huh. I think one of the things that really makes it stand out to me is that it's very personal, right? It's a daughter making a video about her father and she's making this heartfelt, like she tells the story. He poured his whole heart and soul into writing this book. If you would read it, it would make, mean so much to this man, right? And then people read it. But then what happened was it was good. It was a good book. <laughs> and so it, it got more and more people talking about it and more. It wasn't just like people were buying it out of pity, but maybe at the very first couple, but it got, it was a good book. So it was a good product, right? But she was making it from her heart. She was making it, it was very personal. Um, I think your question about using AI to be creative. I agree. I use it. I think it's a lot of fun. It's a really interesting tool. Um, what I love to use it for is as a brainstorming partner. So, um, you know, if you're, if you're thinking about your previous question, like I, I, I think every article, how do I make an article that's amazing? Like take your idea, you know, you have a topic you want to write about, feed it into the AI and say, um, what are some angles that I might not have considered about this? Or here's what I'm thinking about talking about. What are some other angles? Just talk to it that way. Help it spur your creativity um, in that way. And it, it, what I find is that it comes up with ideas that I hadn't considered. And that makes me more creative because it's like having a partner, um, somebody you can talk to about your ideas and get some ideas that you might not ever have considered. The one thing to remember though, is that if AI has the idea, that means that somebody else on the internet had the idea because it's literally pulling from existing media, right? So nothing it gives you is going to be completely unique. You still have to put your spin on it. But what if we tie it back to your video that you were talking about, what that girl did wasn't it wasn't a marketing video. It wasn't a, it was like a plea from a daughter. She put her own spin on the very tired, like buy my book, right? She put her own personal spin on it. And that's how that marketing message resonated so much differently than somebody who's just like, I wrote a book, come buy it. It's so good, right? It was very personal. It was a heartfelt message. That's how she found that spin that made it go viral, that made people sit up and take notice and want to read the book. So you can use the AI as a brainstorming partner as to help you get out of your uh, rut. You know, a lot of times you may have heard this, like people say, come up with a hundred ideas because it's hard. Like you can maybe come up with 20 really easy and then the next 20 are hard and then the next 20 are even harder. <laughs> um, chat GPT and those can come up with a hundred ideas like that. Right. But when you get to it, you might see things you wouldn't have come up with. And it saves you time in that process of trying to find your own unique spin and unique angle on a topic. Yeah, yeah, love it, love it. Uh, let's talk about uh, writing these prompts for AI. Uh, once yeah. I watch how uh, Elon Musk did it mm -hmm. before he started to criticize ChatGPT uh, to <laughs> sign this letter with many other uh, big companies that we need to procrastinate the process. Then when he got it, uh, he can't do anything against this revolution. He bought a lot of expensive equipment to develop this technology on Twitter because you know it's interesting uh, I remember when I spoke with Jeff Coyle uh, the co-founder of Market Muse and he told me that in the future we will have three companies companies that develop 
AI companies that implement AI and obsolete companies. You can leave this straight, you know. So, uh, and uh, I found uh, when Elon Musk posted this screenshot, uh, how he used ChatGPT, uh, he asked hard question. I spent a few times to read this question to understand what Elon Musk wanna get. No, mm-hmm. and he got unique answer. Uh, can you tell how to do it? Because I see when content creators uh, ask questions like to write article, how to play guitar, how to lose weight, how to learn French, any uh, such generic prompts. So your methods, how to write unique prompts. Sure. Um, so what I found that works for me the best is to have, um, so I use chat GPT. Um, and so in there you can say it saves your questions, right? And you can go back to it. So, um, the things that I found that are the most useful, um, is to have one where I'm training it on my voice I'm training it on how I write. So I give it several examples of posts or emails or social media posts, whatever that have done well, that have gotten good engagement for me that I wrote. And I say, here's my voice, um, analyze it. And then what I'll do is I'll say, okay, when I ask it to write something, I'll say, now write it in my voice, right? Because I've trained it. So you have to keep going back to that same window where you've trained it, what your voice is. Otherwise it Mm -hmm. it doesn't remember from one question to the next, right? Um, That's one way you can use it. Another way to write prompts, I find that having, telling chat GPT to ask me questions is a really great way to get better answers. So for example, I'll say, I'm looking to write uh, text for a registration page. Um, here are the five things that needs to have on it. Ask me questions and I'll give you answers so that we can generate this text together. And so it'll ask me questions. And as I answer it, um, you get better and better results, right? So, and then it takes my answers and you can, you can have it continue to ask you questions to develop your ideas until you tell it to stop, right? Um, that's actually a really great way to develop your creativity because it'll ask questions you didn't think of, like, yeah. uh, you know, all kinds of things. So that's a great way to have it interview you. Actually, this is a great example because like, I love going on podcasts because when the interviewer asks me a question that I'm not necessarily prepared for and I have to answer it, I'm like, oh, that was good. I should say that again, <laughs> right? It's stuff that comes out that I'm not used to. And you can, you can sort of, emulate that process with the, with the AI by having it ask you questions. And the third thing I've seen that works really well is you tell it to act as something. So for example, if I want to say act as a content marketing expert and tell me what I should do in this situation, right? Because then it has a frame for how it's answering your question. So, um, I saw this on Twitter. I stole this from somebody on Twitter, but they were saying, um, you know, like ask as an ask act, act as an HR recruiter and ask me questions so that I can prepare for my job interview, right? So it's telling the AI what framework to use in order to go in. And so if it thinks as that person or that expert, it's going to ask you different questions. So I find those are the ways I use it most, uh, most successfully. Mm-hmm. Nice. Nice. Uh, Lacey, my, uh, question, uh, next question about, uh, uh for example you know uh, i usually cooperate with crypto finance uh investing trading niches because uh i spend some time to learn about these niches uh, i also have finance ed- education financial so and uh, uh but when i started in digital marketing uh 12 years ago uh, 
I had a team of copywriters who wrote about anything. Uh, I gave them topics, uh, any topic about music, about finance. Uh, so they did. Then things changed many times because of Google, this parameter EEAT, expertise, mm -hmm. experience, authority, trust. Uh, by the way, Lily Ray uh, wrote a checklist on my uh, SEO course, you know, uh, about these parameters. I enjoyed this checklist uh, because I usually, for example, if I see customers don't understand SEO, I tell them, take my course. It costs like 10, 20 dollars. Uh, you can understand the basic, you know, because right. without understanding, it's hard. It's hard yeah. to explain how it works. Well, but when they understand, we can cooperate like a cohesive team, you know, to have clear vision where we are going. And um, uh, my question about, uh, uh, I see on your LinkedIn profile that you can help to create outstanding content, but how you do it without understanding the topic? You know, uh, I mean, like, uh, do you spend some time to learn this topic or you hire specialists who understand the topic uh, because we have this EEAT and users need content from experts, not like from uh, writers. Uh, for example, if I, I'm sick, I'm not interested to read content from copywriters who didn't know how to treat people just to rewrite. I think AI can make a better job than uh, writers who will write this article. So uh, mm -hmm. your methods, how to learn content, uh, I mean, like uh, to create content uh, with uh, such, such narrow niches. Yeah. So our our philosophy, um, I don't hire experts in in a um, particular field, so mm -hmm. to speak. So but what I do look for is um, I've had really good luck hiring people who are former journalists, uh, because if they worked in journalism, they know how to research, they know how to interview, and then they know how to synthesize all that information into something new and interesting, right? So they have those skills coming in. So what we focus on when we are writing for a client is getting their thought leadership. So it's not so much that we need to go research, you know, because normally when people hire us, they're not writing like how to learn French. That's too broad of a topic, right? If the person came to us, they have a specific methodology for how to learn French that we're trying to write content about, right? So then my writer will go and either they will consume the content they've already created. Maybe yeah, they have a course we can look at. Maybe they have a book. Maybe they have old blog posts we can read, calls we can listen to, things like that. We get their thought leadership or we interview the person. So we say like, tell me your methodology for how to learn French. And then mm -hmm. that is how we create the content. We're borrowing their expertise to create the content. So it's, it's more like, um, Basically, we're just making it so that the person, the expert, doesn't have to be the one physically writing the content, right? So we're taking their expertise. We have the skills to pull it out, to interview them, to get the gold nuggets, and then mm -hmm. put that into the content we create. Um, very occasionally, we have clients who have really complicated uh, topics. So we have right now, we have a big data analyst. So he's all about, like, he. we write about AI and and algorithms and big data and things like that for him. And that's a very complicated um, topic. But lucky for us, he's not writing to his peers who already know so much about it. He's writing to lay people like you and me. So we can take, <laughs> he'll tell us something and we can take and kind of dumb it down a little bit so that it makes sense to the average reader. And um, that's actually works really well for us too, because he can give us the source material. He writes a lot of books. 
So we'll read his books. He, he can give us the source material and we can translate that into an article that makes sense to a newbie like me, right? That doesn't know anything about it. So mm -hmm. that's how we that's how we approach it in our business. Nice, nice. Yeah, awesome, awesome. And um, I want I want to ask you how to you know to create the feeling of owning products. You know, it's interesting. For example, uh, I love uh, learning how big companies can do it. For example, Apple, uh, Google, uh, BMW, many big companies uh, they can create the feeling of owning their products that these products can help simplify your lives mm -hmm. decide your problems for example tim cook uh, doesn't share a lot of features on presentations but he can share stories you know great stories after watching the stories uh, i often want to buy all apple products you know because <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> i, I, I want to simplify my life to decide all my problems can you tell how to create this feeling how to create the feeling of owning something because it's not like uh, i don't remember exactly the quote it was like uh companies don't sell products they sell stories so mm -hmm. any tips about that <laughs> yeah yeah so this is one of the oldest copywriting uh tricks in the book um th there's a really old quote and forgive me i don't know who said it originally but they said we're not selling a drill we're selling a hole and mm -hmm. even it's it, more than that, you're not, you're not even selling the hole, you're selling the picture you're gonna hang, right? With your family in it or whatever. Yeah. So the idea is benefits, uh, not features, right? So you said Tim Cook doesn't spend a lot of time talking about what the iPhone can do. He spends time telling you stories. So what it can do is the features, right? Does it have a touch screen? How big is it? Uh, all those things. He doesn't talk about the features. He talks about the benefits that you'll be whatever more connected to your family when you FaceTime. That you can take better pictures of your kids, so you'll remember everything. Right? Those are the stories that make us evoke an emotion. And so it's it's like a very very basic copywriting technique, but it's one that makes a huge difference because even with something more like a service, like what I sell, right? We don't sell a thing. <laughs> we don't sell a, a product. We sell a service. But it's like, we're not actually selling you the blog post. We're selling you the fact that you don't have to write it. That's time you get back in your life. Um, you're going to get all these leads who are better educated and more excited about your stuff. You're going to eas more easily convert leads into sale, right? I'm painting you a picture of the after with the benefits of my service. So it's really that it's as simple as talk about benefits, not features. Yeah, yeah, I agree 100%. Yeah. Uh, I read a book uh, from Josh Sugarman. He wrote this book about marketing 40 years ago, uh, the Edwig Copywriting Handbook. And uh, I think, you know, this book is more related to digital marketing than even marketing. Now, I can use all these insights from this book uh, mm -hmm. to use today uh, because... Uh, he described how it's important to catch attention of customers, readers in the beginning because people bounce fast. We have totally the same on YouTube, on audio podcast, uh, bounce rate on uh, website content yep. uh, and how it's important to retain them until the end. And he wrote great stories, how he can do it, examples. Uh, sometimes even people, irrelevant audience, after started to read they can't stop because it's interesting to read uh, until then and he got uh, some angry messages about that why you write like this you know i uh, uh, i'm not your customer but i can't stop i wasted 10 minutes to read the whole story you know <laughs> so yeah uh, can you tell how to retain audience you know okay we create content uh 
your tips how to hook uh, attention and retain until the end. Yeah, that's so important. And you're right. I think um, our attention spans are even shorter today than when he wrote that book, probably, right? Um, yeah. So you have, and, and we have so many more options. I mean, probably if it was 40 years ago when he wrote the book, you know, you're reading a newspaper or you're, or you're li listening to a, an ad on the radio or you're watching television and you're not as likely to click away or close the newspaper, right? But nowadays, you know, we have two or three screens going at the same time yeah. and you're not paying attention. So you really have to be sure you're, you're grabbing and holding attention. The way I like to think about it is each line that you write, starting with the headline, is its entire job is to get people to read the next line, right? So when you think about it piece by piece like that, the headline is to get them to open or click or get them to read the first line. The first line of the article needs to get them to read the next line of the article and so on and so on. So the way to think about that is how can I open up a gap of curiosity with what I'm saying to where they have to keep reading to answer the question, right? Um, I think BuzzFeed does a really great job of this. So if you ever want to study headlines, BuzzFeed headlines, we, we, we make fun of them even a little bit because they're like clickbait, right? But they do a great job of, you have to know, like they'll have a headline that's like, these 12 weird tips for losing weight, number four will shock you. So you have to go see what number four is, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> They're opening up that gap of curiosity. Yeah. So you have to click and go see what it is. And, and we get used to the formula. So the formula gets less effective over time. But just keeping that in mind, how to do? How can we do that with our own writing without being maybe spammy or yeah. clickbaity? But how can we do that with our own writing? And then you think about it, each part of the article or whatever it is you're creating, YouTube videos are the same way. Um, in the introduction, we have to set people up so they want to read or watch the rest to answer the question. Or, you know, it, when you say, I'm gonna, in this video, I'm gonna share you five tips to do X, Y, Z, um, be sure to stay to the end because I'm also gonna share, right? These are the techniques we use to open up the gap of curiosity so people have to get through the whole thing because they want to, not because, we're holding them hostage, but we've made it so enticing that they want to read the entire thing. Yeah, nice, nice. Yeah, uh, I hate when I get this message. Uh, you can get this tip uh, in the end or in the middle. So, you know, when you right? watch this video, you want to get this tip, but <laughs> you need to wait. Yeah. Yeah, the same tip. is true. If you think about when you read a novel, um, a lot of times novelists, what they'll do is when you get to the end of a chapter, there's a little bit of a cliffhanger. So yeah. you need, you want to go read the next chapter. And this is how you get stuck. Like you're reading at 2 a.m. Cause you can't put the book down. Cause you have to find out what's next. So you've got to think about how can I make those little cliffhangers in my content yeah. too. Yeah. Nice. Nice. Listen, uh, I want to ask about your strong side. Uh, mm -hmm. I spoke with many marketers and I found everyone has their weak side, strong side, uh, the best customers. Uh, so tell about your strong strong side and uh, which type of customers you can help more, I mean, like to provide more benefits, help them. Yeah, I would say our strengths are, there's two different places where we are really strong. First, we are really good at emulating the customer's voice. So mm -hmm. I mentioned earlier that we we like to interview the client and, and use their existing content to get um, th the topics that we write about. But the benefit of that too, is that then we can take over the blogging and your audience never knows that you've switched or that you've outsourced. 
And that's really important for um, people who have personality brands or people who are the face of their brand. So like you, for example, have a really um, unique voice and a way of talking and a way of communicating. And so if we were going to write emails for you or blog posts for you, we want to sound like you so that your audience is recognizes that voice, right? And they don't go, wait, who wrote this? That's not him, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Um, so that's something that we really uh, strive for and that we excel at. And I didn't, when I got started in this over a decade ago, I didn't realize that was a special skill. I thought everybody could do that, <laughs> but it's not. Um, so I specifically hire writers who have that skill, who can um, change up the tone and the voice that they write in so we can sound like our different um, clients. So that would be one. And the other thing that I think we're really good at is coming up with really fun and engaging, um, unboring, as you said, marketing ideas. So, you know, we had our fiction podcast. That's a good example. But we also we had a brand that we worked with last year. They sell um, it's a luxury tea. So they make teas, but they're really um, fine teas. And their brand is really romantic and, and very um, lush and, and feminine. And she wanted to write a romance novel. Uh, for her customers. So we wrote a 12 part romance novel that she delivered as an email lead magnet. Um, and it was so great. And her customers loved it. It was so much fun for us as well. But I was like, this is the kind of project I love to do because it's so different. And it's so creative and outside the box. Um, people are really going to sit up and notice like, oh, you wrote a whole romance novel for your tea company? Okay, that's pretty cool. <laughs> so <laughs> yeah. those are the kind of projects we really excel at and that we love to do the most. Yeah, awesome, awesome. Uh, Lacey, I, I want to ask about common mistakes. In my life, I made a lot of mistakes. I keep doing them, you know, it's part of the process. I wrote a lot of bad content, you know, created this content, but I learned how yeah. to improve, how to go ahead. So. Can you list common mistakes that companies still do and your tips how to find a much better way? Sure. Um, one that I'm seeing a lot right now is that companies think they just need more content. So I've got to create more and more and more. I have to have something new every week, every day, whatever it is, right? Um, and I think that's that's a very limiting way of thinking, right? Because then you're not actually making the most of the pieces of content that you are creating. So I'll tell you a story. We have a client who hired us to write blog posts for them and they have a really interesting methodology. They're business coaches. They have a really interesting methodology. There's lots of meaty stuff we can talk about, but they've been doing this for like 10 years. And so we, we wrote blog posts for three or four months and the client came to me and she said, you know, we're not really seeing a whole lot of leads coming from these blog posts that you're writing. And I said, okay, let's look at your whole, your whole web, right? Uh, the whole web of what you're doing. And it turned out the place that they make the most leads is in social media and email. And I said, why are we writing blog posts when you already have like hundreds of blog posts on your website? Why aren't we taking them and repurposing them for your social media and your email to get more leads? So we made that switch. We're writing now their social and their emails. Oh, boom, all of a sudden their leads go through the roof because we actually didn't need to create new stuff. We just needed to get the stuff they already had in, in the places in front of the people that were actually going to make a purchase. So I feel like a lot of times it, it's kind of like the story you shared at the beginning. You know, they're spending a lot of time and energy creating more and more and more content, but they're not yeah. looking at what's actually working. And, and doubling down on that. And I think that's the more effective. It's not usually that you need more. 
it's like, how do I use what I've already got in a more effective way? Nice, nice. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. And uh, that's why I have another question about priorities. You know, I, okay. I see when companies create huge content plan, like uh -huh. 100 topics, uh, even 10 topics, you know, uh, when you have limited resources, it's hard. Sure. And as you mentioned, it's better, less, but quality. Can you tell how to choose priorities between topics that cover our buying journey, you know, uh, and uh, yeah, stick with them? Yeah. So usually for people, what I say is look for the thing that's closest to the sale. Um, that's going to be the thing that's going to get you the highest ROI first. Right. So, for example, if there's some content topics you can cover that will help overcome objections or help answer questions that people have right before they say yes to you, that's where I would start. Because once you have those resources, you can use them during the sales process. You can put them up as blogs. You can send them as emails. Right. You can do all those things, but they exist. Um, so I always tell people kind of prioritize whatever's closest to the sale. That's usually going to be your conversion content and your lead generation content. Um, and then once you have that in place and it's working, then you can back it out and, and do things that cover the earlier stages of your customer journey, because there's not really much point in attracting people who are unaware if you don't have a way to convert them over here. Right. So we want to get that part that's closest to the sale working really well first. And then we can create the content that's going to generate a lot of traffic. Nice. Yeah, I agree. Love it. Love it. And uh, I usually check out competition as well, because mm. if I see uh, a lot of competition, yeah, it's better to take topics with low, less low competition, co low exactly, competition. Exactly. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> so, right. Yeah. Because at least my customers are mostly smaller businesses. And so we're never uh -huh. going to outrank whoever the big guy in that industry is. Right. We're never going to outrank if you're, if you're a business coach, you're never going to outrank like HubSpot or whoever is like the big person in that industry. But if you can look for topics that have long tail keywords and less competition, you can dominate that and get more yeah. traffic that way. Yeah. Which Usually I know you tell, know. <laughs> yeah. It's better to outsmart, not yes. overweight, you know. Exactly. So, exactly. Yeah. You, you can't compete with HubSpot uh, by having resources. Even... Uh, I, uh, yeah, I read this book about HubSpot. This company uh, was never profitable. So, uh, mm. yeah, they spent a lot of resources to create this content, great content. They can't get back even profit <laughs> no, from that. So how you can right. compete with them if, yeah. And they these spend... big companies have a whole team. You know, they've got a whole team of people whose full-time job it is to create yeah. this content, these resources. And a small business can't compete with that. Yeah, yeah. But uh, if you find uh, great topics that competitors ignore, even big companies like HubSpot, uh, exactly. they can't cover. Yeah, a lot. And yeah. let's my final question about your experience. You know, yeah. <laughs> uh, I found, you know, uh, that I get high results with clients who understand SEO. If they don't, I tell, take my course, learn yeah. from Lily Ray, Rand Fishkin. Uh, Jeff Coyle, Mike Phillips, because uh, we created this course. It costs like $10, $20, not a lot, but you can learn from great experts. Mm -hmm. uh, but when you understand the basic, we can move on uh, to understand the clear vision, uh, to know what we are going to do. Can you tell, if you started today from scratch, without any experience, knowledge, skills, what will you do today to learn more about uh, content marketing? Oh, that's a great question. Um, 
I think some of the biggies right now that I would want to learn from um, Joanna Weeb at Copy Hackers is an incredible resource. Um, there is a, a, a site called um, what's it called Copywriter Club that my friend uh, runs. That's a really great resource because it's a community and you can learn. They have courses, but you can also learn from the community. I think. Um, Basically, my my approach to it when I was starting out was like, go take some courses, learn some things, but then develop your own opinions about how it's yeah. done um, and decide what you like and what you don't like. And that's how you're going to differentiate yourself. And that's what worked for me. You know, it's like I took a bunch of courses, learned the basics, and then I was like, mm, I don't agree with this, but I do agree with this. And that's how, you know, you kind of develop your own brand. And I think that's true of no matter what you're going to do, but for copywriting, those are probably the places I would start. Copy hackers is a good one. They have really good nice. courses. Nice, <laughs> nice. Uh, Lacey, it's a big pleasure again to get to my show, to learn from you. You always share a lot of valuable insights. You're so kind to share this value. Tell our audience the best way, how to keep learning from you, how to follow you, how to reach out to you. Yeah, thank you so much. So you can find all my stuff at LaceyBoggs.com. Uh, I have a new uh, content web audit tool that you can take for free. If you go to lacybogs.com slash content web, all one word. Um, you can take the audit and find out if you have holes in your web and uh, how to prioritize and fix them. That's a really great way to get in on it. And otherwise, find me on, on Facebook, Instagram. Uh, and YouTube, we just started a YouTube channel, so you can find me. Oh, well. nice, nice! I'll submit YouTube channel, Instagram, uh, LinkedIn, all social all media, places. your website. <laughs> yeah, <Yep. laughs> guys, you need to follow Lacey because you can see a lot of value. Okay, love you. See you.